BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio, I'm Michael Krasny. Coming up, Brian Stelter joins us. He's CNN's chief media correspondent, host of the network's Reliable Sources program, and the author of Hoax, which unpacks the origins, evolution, and impact of Donald Trump's relationship with Fox News, a mutually beneficial alliance that he says has worked to push an extreme right-wing agenda while casting all news sources but Fox as fraudulent. We'll talk about the alliance's impact on White House policy and the spread of misinformation, and we'll also get Stelter's take on the latest political news, including Trump's comments about disparaging U.S. vets and his own Pentagon staff, and we'll hear his thoughts on Trump fixer Michael Cohen's new memoir, which is out today. That's all next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. To CNN chief media correspondent Brian Stelter, President Trump's ongoing mutually reinforcing alliance with Fox News gained permanent traction in January of 2017. That was when Trump, enraged over CNN and other networks' coverage of his sparse inauguration crowd, found refuge in sympathetic reporting from Fox News. Brian Stelter says from that point on, the network became what he calls Trump's humiliation-free zone and his chief source of information. And as detailed in his new book, Hoax, it also marked the start of an unprecedented alliance in which Trump and Fox worked together to cast the rest of American media as fake. Brian Stelter, who's also the host of CNN's Reliable Sources program, joins us to talk about what he uncovered about the evolution and impact of the Trump-Fox partnership. But first, we're going to get his take on some of today's political news. And welcome, Brian Stelter. Good to have you with us. Hey, great. Grateful to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd like to begin by talking about the article by Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor-in-chief of Atlantic, whom you had on your program on CNN's Reliable Sources just on Sunday. And just for some background for listeners who may not know about this, Trump is alleged to have called those who died in World War One losers and suckers. Uh, they were buried in a cemetery outside of Paris and supposedly... Again, allegedly, he didn't want to honor the dead uh, for fear his hair would be messed up. Jennifer Griffin of Fox News has backed up this story and confirmed it, and the White House has denied it. They've given the title of your book, called it a hoax, and uh, Trump right. has said it, it never happened. What I want to get to here 
is uh, Trump wants Griffin fired. He said Fox News is gone. This has maybe changed the relationship with Fox. Uh, first of all, your thoughts about that, but also about what Goldberg told you, which is this is just the tip of the iceberg. I do expect more reporting in the coming days, including quite possibly from Bob Woodward's book. I hate to start out talking about some other author, but I'll tell you what, uh, there is a lot of anticipation for Woodward's book, Rage, which comes out next Tuesday. And I think one of the reasons why Jeffrey Goldberg published his story when he did was perhaps <laughs> because he thinks Woodward has some similar reporting. So look, we will see, we will find out when that book begins to leak. But I think that The Atlantic and other outlets have provided more evidence of a pattern of the president disparaging veterans and disrespecting the military. Some of this is in the president's own words, including yesterday, when he commented on people at the top of the military just wanting to start wars, make, basically calling them war profiteers. You know, I think what the president has done by attacking Fox on this story, by saying reporter Jennifer Griffin should be fired because she was able to corroborate part of Jeffrey Goldberg's report, is that he's working the refs. He doesn't want news on Fox News. He only wants propaganda. So one minute he will attack a reporter at Fox or complain about an anchor at Fox. And the next minute he will promote Pete Hegseth or Janine Gen Pirro. He'll call into Sean Hannity's show or Fox and Friends. It shows that he doesn't want journalism on the air. He wants pro-Trump opinion in order to keep his base as solid as a rock. Well, he's uh, going against uh, a much respected reporter here who has had uh, a great deal of praise for her integrity. Uh, and the fact of the matter is uh, Fox kind of threw her under the bus, didn't they? I think Fox did not sufficiently promote and tout its own reporting. So once Griffin had corroboration for some of Goldberg's account, she did go on the air once and talk about it. A couple other shows acknowledged it. But the dominant theme of the coverage was still Trump's denial. And I would understand that they'd emphasize the denial if the president was known to be a proud, honest truth teller, someone who never told a lie. But this president has proven that his words are meaningless by his own actions. He's contradicted himself all the time and lied to the public constantly about the pandemic and other matters. So to lead with the president's denial seems faulty to me, especially when your own reporter from your own outlet has backed up some of the reporting. Uh, but again, this just shows the tug of war between Fox and uh, inside Fox, between news and opinion. And I think it shows that opinion is almost always winning. Well, let's talk, though, about what has come out of this controversy, which is the whole validity of uh, unnamed sources. There have been certainly a lot of accusations right. that many uh, do not corroborate the story. Uh, in fact, John Bolton's name has been mentioned on frequent occasions, uh, as well as other Trump supporters who claim that he never said what has been alleged here. Uh, and yet you have Carol Bernstein, I think, on your show saying uh, with Watergate under Nixon, there were close to 200 sources uh, that were simply unnamed. So it's the nature of, I suppose, reporting and journalism to a great extent sometimes to have unnamed sources. But let's get to the heart of it. I mean, this has been certainly stirring around this controversy. It absolutely has. And uh, I think it, it is great to have a chance to talk about anonymous sourcing because it is so often misunderstood. And it, reporters don't do enough to explain why and how we rely on anonymous sourcing. Number one, the sources are never anonymous to the reporters and to their bosses. You know, when I'm using anonymous sourcing for CNN, at least one of my bosses has to know if the story is very sensitive, then multiple people are going to know the identity of this person. And we're going to have a, a conversation about 
why they are credible and why we're taking their word and why we're publishing it. You know, that kind of checks and balances system is what journalism needs and, and what the public needs to know happens so they can have more confidence in the reporting. Um, you know, with, with regards to The Atlantic, I think we also know a couple of things from Jeffrey Goldberg's record. Number one, he has quoted John Kelly on the record before. He's quoted James Mattis on the record before. He clearly has journalistic relationships with some of these uh, retired generals. And that's helpful to know if you're wondering who his sources might be for this story. If you just joined us, we're talking to Brian Stelter. He's chief media correspondent and the host of Reliable Sources on CNN. His book is called Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Uh, let's, uh, let's look at this uh, from the standpoint of what you've just mentioned. That is, uh, there is a pattern with President Trump of saying things that are, shall we say, derogatory or pejorative, where uh, John McCain is concerned, where other members of the military have been concerned. Uh, and yet the fact of the matter is that... Um, uh, many people think, well, this, this uh, recent uh, number of things that he said against the military is going to have to be a game changer. But they thought that uh, about Access Hollywood. They thought that about many things, about the things he said about McCain, for example. Uh, it doesn't necessarily follow that uh, the military is going to move away in great numbers from him. Uh, veteran voters or those associated with the military back in 2016 voted twice as many uh, for Trump in North Carolina, Florida, and Arizona, you know, key states than they did for Hillary Clinton. Uh, what kind of a change do you think is really going to occur because of this, especially when he's got Fox behind him? I think there's no such thing as a game changer anymore. I think uh, that that term can be retired until the next presidency. And the only change that will happen is potentially a change uh, after the election, uh, you know, meaning that in the shape of an election. But I still think it's important to have the fullest possible picture of the men that are running for president. So we should know as much as possible about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And uh, these reports from the Atlantic and elsewhere and all of these books about Trump that are selling so well, they just, I think they help to make sure we have the fullest possible portrait, even though in most cases, the, the polls show that minds do not change as a result directly. Well, you get into detail about what you call the Fox fictions, and there's a kind of a two-way pipeline that goes on here that is, uh, Trump to Fox and Fox back to Trump. And you cite stories like the caravan of terrorists and criminals on the march from Central America as a Fox reporter to invade the U.S. or the DNC staffer who was slain for uh, leaking campaign yeah, emails. Or, yeah. Um, I mean, there are a number of those. In fact, maybe the, the worst one, uh, the most lethal one was coronavirus, uh, nothing more than a seasonal flu. What's in it for Fox in all of this? Uh, I mean, to essentially create these stories out of whole cloth or give affirmation to the stories that come from the White House that are simply not true. Brian, do we have you? I'm going to try to re reconnect with Brian Stelter. I think we lost a connection there. Uh, again, Brian Stelter is the author of Hoax, uh, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Let me, while we're trying to reconnect with him, invite those of you listening Oh, Brian, are you there? I hear. I'm sorry. I'm here. I can hear you loud and clear. I apologize. No, um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry we lost the connection there. I don't know if it was your fault or our fault, but the, this is the age of Zoom. I was just asking you, though, what's in it for Fox <laughs> in all this? You know, it's my fault because uh, uh, I'm in New York City and Fox portrays New York City, just like uh, California and Seattle and Portland 
as this disaster zone, this crazy disaster zone, when in fact we know that our cities are not. But uh, the one disaster I do have in New York is my cell phone reception. I I'll tell you what I think is in it for Fox. Uh, profits. Um, profits and popularity. Fox is becoming more and more of a profit machine every year. It is now on a path to two I think your cell just dropped again. <laughs> um, let me invite listeners to join us. Uh, we'll hear from you, our listeners. We'll hear more uh, when we get Brian Stelter back onto a good connection here. I'm glad he blamed his cell phone and not us, but you can give us a call and reach us on your cell phone or whatever you're dialing in on. The number to call is 866-733-6786, and we do want to hear from you on this. You can join us right now at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook or at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. I think we got you back, Brian. I hope so. Brian, are you there? I won't lose you again, I promise. Well, no, I'll take your, promise as a, take your promise as a sacred vow. I don't want to lose you again, but go ahead, please. <laughs> I think that... Um, you know, there are many reasons why there are true believers at Fox. Some are true believers in Trump's cause. You know, it is about backlash to a browning America. Uh, it's about grievance politics in every form. But then there's also a lot of people at Fox that are either in it for the money or the power or because they have few other options for employment. It's definitely a mix of answers. What about the fact that, and I'm sure you've heard this, uh, I mean, you work for CNN and CNN has become a kind of bete noir, a serious enemy of, uh, of Trump's. Uh, there are those who say CNN is partisan the other way. They are anti-Trump and they also say that CNN put so much spotlight, as did Fox and others, of course, on Trump that they ensured the likelihood of his winning in 2016. Well, well, certainly Michael Cohen makes that argument in his new book, which is out today, called Disloyal. Uh, Cohen is quoted saying, uh, Trump is the product of the American free press. Uh, and that, of course, means CNN and others as well as Fox. Uh, I think the difference is that CNN, NBC, The New York Times, uh, radio stations, uh, you know, newspapers, they all try to be tethered to the truth and fact-based reporting. We have those checks and balances I was talking about. Those don't really exist at Fox News. Um, Fox uh, has a series of fiefdoms. It seems like there's a lack of clear leadership there. And that's partly why Trump has been able to gradually take over the channel. We invite you again to join our conversation. We're talking, if you just joined us, with Brian Stelter, chief media correspondent and host of Reliable Sources on CNN, about his book and more. Hoax is the name of the book, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. The Michael Cohen book came out today. We'll talk about that as well, but we do want to hear from you. You can call us and join us now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. You're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking this hour with Brian Stelter, chief media correspondent and host of Reliable Sources on CNN. His new book is called Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. And here's Beth who says CNN and others treated Trump as a joke in 2016 and gave him so much free press while ignoring the mistakes that led to Clinton losing. Then after he won, instead of admitting they messed up, CNN and others became the nonstop vindictive media. Now I worry if Trump will win once again because of millions of voters whom the media dismisses. Get your response to that, Brian. 
I appreciate the feedback, but I do respectfully disagree about the way Trump was treated in 2016. There was a period, I agree, where he initially um, was treated as a spectacle, as an entertainment product. But I went back and looked at all the transcripts of, of the coverage on CNN from 2016. There was a lot of fact-checking, a lot of scrutiny, a lot of aggressive coverage of Trump before Election Day. Uh, I think that what we've seen in 2016 is um, a reaction to something much larger. Uh, the people that were voting for Trump, they were not concerned about whether he was telling the truth about voter fraud or about immigration. They were reacting to something much bigger. Uh, you know, we, we've seen the studies about racial resentment and other reasons that drove support for President Trump. Um, I think that there was a lot of tough coverage, but the tough coverage didn't, um, it didn't register with uh, the voters that ultimately backed President Trump, uh, or they backed him in spite of that aggressive coverage uh, because they wanted to stick it to the media. There's maybe a little bit of that going on. I think most importantly, Trump's election was on the, the it was, um, the edge of a coin. It was, it was a coin flip, you know. It could have gone either way. It was incredibly tight. I think it's important to remember that uh, when, when we talk about what might happen this time around, where, where uh, Biden does have a much more considerable lead than Hillary Clinton ever did. Let me bring a caller on. We have Jim from Atlanta joining us. Jim, welcome. You're on forum. Yeah. Well, welcome. I Living in Atlanta, actually in the suburbs, you know, it's amazing how pervasive and um, ability to influence people that Fox has. I mean, I have many friends, many of whom are, you know, highly educated business owners who simply believe everything that the Fox, not the commentators say, and view CNN and others as fake news. Um, you know, and even when I talk to them, they're just unwilling to accept facts. Any facts you bring up are, no, that's fake. It's not like that, you know, and repeat the line from Fox, which is kind of scary because, you know, you, you're seeing this polarization of viewpoints where neither side is willing to listen to the other. They have decided that theirs is right. I mean, obviously, as an NPR member and uh, someone who listens to CNN, I value facts, but it's scary that some people simply refuse to believe it, including like it's not a pandemic, it's a pandemic. So I, if you would like to comment on how do you overcome that or can you? Jim, I thank you for the call. And Brian Stelter, you want to react to Jim? I think that's why the most important, in retrospect, when we think back to 2017 and the transition period between Obama and Trump, the most important thing Trump did was not appoint a chief of staff or appoint um, cabinet secretaries. It was to call the press fake. It was that day uh, at the press conference in January when he said, you are fake news. You are fake news. It was the first of hundreds of times that he has said it. And by repeating it over and over again, like propaganda, he has convinced some fans that the rest of the media is fake and that only Fox and uh, the president himself are to be trusted. Uh, the reason I titled my book Hoax is because he's gone from fake news to an even more extreme lie, which is hoax, that everything could be a hoax. As you mentioned, the reporting in The Atlantic has been called a hoax. The Russia investigations, very real concerns about Russia and Trump, he dismisses as a hoax. He repeats the word so often, he now says it more than once a day on average. And I think that has had really damaging consequences that frankly are hard to measure but, you know, as the caller mentioned, we see it in our lives, in our personal lives, with our friends and family, people who are immune from new information that comes in about this president because they are convinced it could all be fake. It could all be a hoax. Uh, that has had real severe consequences for our politics. And by the way, it will be with us in the post-Trump years, whenever the post-Trump years begin. Uh, I wish I had a, a more optimistic take on this, but I think there's a lot of rebuilding to do. Well, and since you mentioned, uh, well, the sense of uh, 
the Russian hoax uh, that, that Trump continued to parrot over and over again. I want to go into Cohen's book a little bit with you, as I said earlier, yeah. because uh, now he has a pretty checkered past, to put it mildly. But the fact of the <laughs> matter is uh, he says that Trump was trying to ingratiate himself with Putin to get a Trump Tower in Russia and that all of this so-called collusion was not really collusion, but it was just... Uh, uh, well, you, Trump using the Russians and the Russians using Trump in ways that weren't necessarily orchestrated in the kind of pattern that could have been uh, brought out in the Mueller report to essentially uh, get Trump in serious trouble. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on that, particularly in light of the fact that uh, Cohen's book is getting a lot of attention. And, you know, he's saying that, uh, well, as far as Russia was concerned, they overtly helped Trump and they will probably will again now. Yeah, they're right, that it was happening in public, it was happening in plain view, uh, and that it wasn't collusion so much as uh, mutual benefits, both sides benefiting from this, and it happening in plain sight. You know, that, I think that's related to the other new book out today. I love this, where this is a, an hour all about every single Trump book. This is good. Uh, Peter Strzok has a book out called Compromised. He is the uh, ex-FBI agent who was fired for having anti-Trump text messages that were discovered. Um, but uh, he, in this uh, new, a new book called Compromise, of course, which alludes to the idea of the president being compromised, he says that the focus on the dossier, this, the famous dossier, was actually a problem for the Russian investigation because it, it, it framed the debate in a way that was harmful. This is quoting Peter Strzok. He said, you know, it became a test. Here's what is alleged to have happened, according to the dossier. And if it happened, it's horrible. And if it didn't happen, then everything is fine. A black and a white. Simple. But it wasn't that simple. It's so much more complicated. And Peter Strzok says this was so much more complicated than the dossier implied, than the news coverage implied. In fact, there's still, I hate to say it, in 2020, still a lot we don't know about the Trump-Russia probe, as Michael Schmidt's new book, uh, The U.S. versus uh, Trump versus the U.S., uh, points out. So it's great that we have this factual record. But what has happened, I think, thanks to the pro-Trump media, is that uh, Trump supporters dismiss all these legitimate questions and concerns as a hoax. It's a simple, dirty, nasty little word uh, that can do so much, can be so effective at undermining the common ground of truth that we all try to walk on or should all want to walk on. And what do you make out of the fact that uh, John Ratcliffe, who has uh, been a major Trump supporter and is now head of national intelligence, uh, is asking, has asked for written reports to go ahead as opposed to in-person reports, and that delays right. uh, or essentially denies uh, lawmakers the opportunity to ask questions? Right, right. You don't want to say that democracy dies by a thousand cuts. Uh, this is not death by a thousand cuts, but it is an erosion by a thousand cuts uh, when, when we see the legislative branch uh, losing um, its ability to, uh, to question these uh, executive branch officials. Um, you know, it's related to uh, the, the, the threat report, the main threat report uh, from the feds uh, not coming out, not being released. Um, I, I find myself wondering here in 2020, if the Trump presidency ends in 2021 or in 2025, either way, how much do we still not know? It seems like every week there are startling new revelations. We're learning about these alleged comments by the president disparaging veterans two years after they are, are alleged to have been said out loud. So how much do we still not know? It's a question that's kind of haunting. And these intelligence reports, I should mention, have to do with trolling by Russians and all of the sorts of things of interfering with the election. Let me get some more calls on here. Nala Yini joins us. Nala Yini, welcome. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV because there's a lot of talking heads discussing the same issue over and over again, mostly personalities. They don't really talk about issues, whereas radio has a variety of issues, 
including people at the low level, people at the high level, I mean, income disparities and so on. So I don't think television is doing us a great favor. And so people turn off television. Well, I thank you for that comment. I think it's probably representative of what a lot of people feel. And I'm going to get another caller right on. Mark joins us next. Mark, thanks for waiting. You're on. Yeah, good morning. Uh, thank you very much for taking my call. Very interesting show. Uh, I'd like to get Mr. Stelter's uh, thoughts on uh, something. It uh, seems to me that uh, one of the uh, biggest uh, motivating factors for uh, uh, Trump support is uh, at least the perceived notion that uh, really his support base is really being uh, sort of uh, denigrated and uh, talked down to and uh, mainstream media treats them uh, very pejoratively. And I have to say, watching CNN or MSNBC or <clears throat> sort of the typical uh, you know, left-leaning uh, outlets, uh, th th there's quite a bit of that flavor. And, and, and there's really just a lot of intolerance uh, for the Trump base, so ranging back to the 2016 election and, of course, uh, <clears throat> uh, Hillary Clinton's comments about basket of deplorables. And that's really permeating its way through the narrative so I'm wondering what Mr. Stelter thinks about that and uh, whether he thinks that that sort of a framing of the narrative is really very detrimental to uh, a kind of a balanced viewpoint. And I'll uh, take my comments uh, off the air. Unless yeah, like Mark, thank you for that question. Uh, let's get to the heart of it here with you, Brian Stelter. What do you think about that disparaging of Trump supporters, deplorables, whatever, and how that really helps him, serves him? Right. I think we need, we need more. Obviously, we need more respect in media, not less. We need more uh, 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 acknowledgement of people's differences and the reasons for those. We need less name calling, less insult comedy, uh, the way that I describe it in, in my book that, that oftentimes uh, airs on Fox. Uh, we need less of that and we need more respect. Um, but I, I do think we have to paint with a narrow brush, a skinny brush, and not a broad brush. Uh, I think uh, when there are specific individuals on CNN or MSNBC or other networks that are disparaging to, to voters, call that out. But I don't think the media as a whole is disparaging to any group of voters. Uh, what we see in the press is this intense focus on what the president says and does and whether those things are true and fair and decent. Uh, oftentimes they are not. And so yeah, I can understand why Trump voters feel like the coverage is very critical. That's because there is so much to call out and so much to correct on any given day. If the president were to go through a day without uh, misleading the public about mail and voting, uh, without uh, making false claims or misspelling words or uh, you know, retweeting uh, conspiracy theories, then I think the, the news would suddenly get a lot quieter and the news would suddenly cover a lot more topics to the point the other caller was, was making about television. It's definitely true that the television networks in the country do focus more on politics these days than 10 or 20 years ago. I think there are some who argue, by the way, the that, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to run across you there, but I was saying there's some who argue that ABC, NBC, and CBS, the main networks or the principal networks for so many years, uh, it's very hard to tell the difference in terms of how they report or present the news. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think that so much of what we've seen on television and to some extent radio is a reaction to the internet and the reaction to the fact that everyone has phones in their hand and can access every version of news at any given time. And so that's why we see a move away from headline news services on television and a move toward one story at a time, talk show formats, in-depth formats. Uh, I, think, I think that's largely because of mobile phones and the internet. Uh, the nightly newscasts, you know, a little bit different, right? 30-minute recap of the world. Those, those shows are doing surprisingly well in the ratings, uh, given that in 2020, the news is at your fingertips. It shows there is still a demand for digested, 
condensed, summarized news about the world. Uh, I think the danger with those shows or the risk with those shows is that sometimes they portray what's happening in, in the Republican Party as if it's more normal than it is. We, we have a, an aberrant president who uh, is engaged in downplaying the pandemic right now, for example. Uh, when you watch his events live, you can see him rambling from one topic to another. His grievances are on full display. My concern is that when you try to distill all that into a nightly newscast or a tweet or a one-minute radio report, you miss just how unusual his behavior is. But of course, we know that many of his supporters want that, right? They, they, they are there for it. They are, uh, they are supporting him because he is unlike any president before. And to the point the second caller made, we have to show respect for that. And most importantly, uh, show the views of those voters. You know, I know that I have a program on CNN that inclu includes talking heads, but I think it's, it's really valuable for us to hear less from talking heads, more from viewers. That's why, frankly, I love doing these radio call-in shows. You get to hear from real people. You do, and we'll hear from some more in just a moment. I was just struck by the fact, though, that uh, I the, the real major personalities on Fox are the ones who are the strongest supporters of President Trump. I'm talking, of course, about Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram uh, and, uh, well, uh, not, not Chris Wallace, by the way, who's going to be the first moderator. We just had him on uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's pretty much managed to navigate in a way that dissociates yeah, himself yes, with those major personalities. But just recently, for right. example... Tucker Carlson attacked uh, Jacob Blake Sr. That wouldn't have happened on any other network, I don't think. Uh, Laura Ingram stopped Trump from talking about the shooting of Jacob Blake Jr. seven times in the back, uh, terrible tragedy by anybody's lights, as, uh, as a mulligan, you know, comparing it to golf, and she tried to steer him away from that. In other words, these are people who have really made it unvarnished in terms of their support for this president. In every way. Right, and that's right. They do have the highest ratings. Uh, newscasts on Fox, like Chris Wallace's Fox News Sunday, are lower rated. The pro-Trump talk shows are much, much higher rated. Uh, that's what the audience wants. And I think a lot of the story I tell in Hoax is about uh, what the audience demands. Some guests, some commentators, some reporters at Fox use the word radicalized to say that the right wing in America has been radicalized. Uh, it's uncomfortable sometimes to talk in those, in those ways, but I heard it again and again from staffers at Fox who feel like the audience is demanding rabid pro-Trump content and uh, resisting hearing news that goes against that point of view. Um, look, we are all conditioned, I suppose, to have confirmation bias and to want to hear things that make us uh, feel good and reinforced in our beliefs. But I know, you know, we're all taught from a young age, try to fight against those filter bubbles. We need to fight against that, whether we're on the right or left or somewhere in between, or we don't even care about politics that much. It's a thin line between covering the news as we're talking about it and propaganda, I think, uh, as your book points out. But let me get another caller on here. Susan joins us. Susan, welcome. Hi, you know, a lot of my comments have been discussed and as I was folding. And the thing that strikes me is really not is the damage that to our country is all these talking heads. And on both sides, you know, our, our um, speaker mentioned that at CNN, you know, they have standards and so forth. I think that's the news. They have their talking heads, too, on the left side. Um, and I just think that all of these people are so, um, they need to have stories, stories. And, and there's just so much of that. We've never had so much of this commentary. And that is, I think, the biggest problem in our media right now. And, and I think people fail to see the difference between um, you know, the commentary media and news. And there's, there should be a big difference. So I'll take my, my comments off the air. All right, thank you for that, Susan. Brian Stelter. 
Right. I, I think uh, when you look at Sean Hannity's show at 9 p.m. Eastern time and 6 p.m. Pacific on Fox News, it looks like a newscast. He has those graphics over his shoulder the same way that news anchors do. He has a banner on the bottom of the screen that says breaking, making it seem like there's breaking news when there's really not. So he uses the, meet, the, the signals of journalism and he talks about having sources when he is, in fact, presenting a nightly news that is, is not really news. It is opinion for a pro-Trump audience that wants to be told that they can't trust or, or that is told constantly they cannot trust anything else. Uh, I compare that to Rachel Maddow, who is on against him at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and she encourages people to seek out other sources. Go read a local newspaper, subscribe to a local or digital outlet. She's encouraging people to have a healthy, diverse media diet, a balanced media diet. Kennedy is the opposite. He tells you the news is, is fake and the journalism is dead. And I think that is damaging. Uh, but I, I think the point about uh, talking heads versus news is crucial. There is, are big differences between commentators and journalists. And uh, you know, I think oftentimes what the news outlets think they are doing to make clear the difference is not sufficient. Whether but that's if a there's a tutorial in the back or whether it's a, a television channel having a commentary at the start of the show. I'm sorry, I thought you were pausing there for a moment. I was just going to say, if there's support of falsehoods and demagoguery, though, uh, does it become almost like a cult or some kind of tribalism that we're talking about here? The word cult did come up repeatedly uh, in my interviews for this book. I spoke to 140 staffers at Fox and then even more people who had left or on the outside or looking in. Um, tribalism came up many times as well. Not entirely new, of course. There was tribalism in the Obama years and the Bush years before those, but it's much more intense now. We didn't used to talk about pro-Trump, anti-Trump the way that for the other presidents. We didn't used to use the terms pro-Obama or anti-Bush in the same way that it is now constant. It seems like talking heads want us to all split off onto two sides and there's never any room in the middle anymore. I think we have to fight against that. You know, most people are not as um, simplistic and black and white as the partisan media makes us seem. Well, we're talking about Fox News and news that is current with Brian Stelter. Uh, Fox News, by the way, is the most watched cable news network. In June and July, they had the highest ratings uh, of any channel on primetime television. We do welcome your involvement in the program. We'll go to more of your calls and emails when we return. The number to join us at is 866-733-6786. Again, that's toll-free, 866-733-6786. And Brian Stelter's book is called Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. I'm Michael Krasny. You're listening to the Forum Program on KQED Public Radio. Our guest this hour is Brian Stelter. He's chief media correspondent and host of Reliable Sources on CNN. His book is called Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Let me get a caller on. That's Brandon. Brandon, join us. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hey, I just want to say, first of all, thanks, Brian, for your reporting. I think it's great what you're doing. I like the conversations you're going around and starting. I think it's important to be having right now. Uh, I'm 21 years old. I'm from California. And, you know, when I look at this whole thing, I didn't grow up watching the news on television, having my information given me that way. I've been exposed more to the social media side of things. I read the news. I do watch the news on television. But a lot of people I know, a lot of the information comes directly and solely from social media. And I think we talk about the talking heads as kind of a source of the problem. But I think it's more emblematic. I think the problem goes deeper. I think it goes on Facebook and, of course, Russian meddling. We really live in the two different media spheres of, of America right now. And it's easy to dismiss this as a problem with the individuals who vote for Donald Trump or to judge their character, their decisions. But I think what it comes down to is human psychology and how, uh, how easy it is to get people to believe things that aren't necessarily true or that, are, that tap into what they already believe. And so I think that's something Vladimir Putin might be leveraging on social media to help cause this polarization. Uh, I think it's just 
So we should just remember this isn't a problem with the individuals involved. It's likely more symptomatic of the system that we are living in. Brandon, I thank you for the call. Good to hear from you. Appreciate the call. I'm wondering, Brian Stelter, uh, about the fact that a lot of... Let me read a comment from a listener named Joel and then go to the heart of something. Uh, he writes, the problem with CNN and other news organizations is that there's very little news but lots of editorializing. A tidbit of news is given at the beginning of each hour, and the next 50 minutes are spent broadcasting what various people thought about that tidbit of news. There is maybe something to be said for that comment, particularly when I'm thinking about uh, the president telling people to vote twice or uh, the Republican National Convention uh, showing Hatch Act violations. They get a kind of right. mild amount of uh, interpretation, uh, excuse me, of uh, reportage, but then they get a lot of interpretation and a lot of opinion. Right, right. Look, I've definitely been a part of the hour-long discussion format that, that your commenter is describing, where there's a bit of news that breaks, and then we do discuss it for the better part of an hour. Uh, so I'm, I'm not going to claim that doesn't happen. It does happen. I've been a part of it. Uh, I think those are useful at times when there is something big breaking that people want to chew over and digest. But I think what is the mo more common format on CNN and MSNBC is uh, reports from correspondents and then interviews with experts and analysts who can put it into context. And some of that may sound like opinion or point of view. Some of it is opinion or point of view, but a lot of it is expert perspective on what is going on, uh, whether it's about the pandemic or whether it's about politics. And then uh, what, what I think we see less of than we did 10 years ago is that left versus right uh, shout fest sort of programming. There is still some of it, especially on Fox, but there's less of it than there used to be. The stakes are really high right now. And there's so many lies and smears and disinformation campaigns underway that uh, I think we actually have seen television reemphasize basic reporting and expert uh, commentary, uh, expert analysis. Uh, but that, that's my impression as a viewer. And, uh, and that's certainly what I want to see more of is more experts and, uh, and fewer random guests just opining about the news. Um, frankly, you can get plenty of that on your Twitter feed, your Facebook feed, so we don't need it on TV. Well, what's your response to Brandon, a 21-year-old's comment that most people he knows don't watch the news, but they get their information on social media? Right. Uh, you know, I think a lot of what you're getting on social media, though, is coming from the television networks. It's a clip that's coming from CNN or Fox, or it's a, a tidbit that started there, right? In, in this case, the Atlantic has driven a day's worth of news coverage at other outlets and across all social media. Um, but I think we have to recognize that, that people, young and old, especially young, but also older people, do soak up the news like sponges now and not, not always even realize where it's coming from, right? When you're scrolling through your social media feed, uh, the New York Times or the San Francisco Chronicle looks the same as one man's blog. And uh, that's a problem. That's a it, 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 everything is flattened and it all looks the same. So something that's really high quality, really rigorously reported, looks the same as a random person's opinion. And I, I, that's a problem for the platforms. I wish the platforms would be more responsible in the way that they, they present information and in the way that they handle uh, disinformation that spreads across their platforms. Um, and here's another caller joining us. Wayne, Wayne, welcome. You're on forum. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Brandon, I read your book, excellent book. Um, I do have a question for you, though. Going back in time, looking at the fairness doctrine, do you think it's possible in our current environment to revisit that and perhaps put something into place like the fairness doctrine that would impact both cable as well as network news and also social media with some sort of verification associated with the, uh, with the sites that are being cited? Thank you for I'll that. Take my answer off the air. Yeah, Wayne, good to hear from you. Uh, fairness doctrine or some form of it? What about that, Brian, from your perspective? I personally don't see it happening. Uh, I don't see the political will on the left. And 
I do see the political battle on the right to any suggestion uh, that there should be a, a reinstitution, something like that, that would uh, require uh, fairness in terms of both sides, you know, 30 seconds for the left, 30 seconds for the right. Frankly, our politics are so scrambled right now anyway with the, the president and his uh, contradictory positions and his flip-flops. I'm not sure how effective that would be in any, in any event. Um, but I understand the instinct to want to try to get uh, some control uh, over a, uh, a wild, wild, wild west sort of feeling in the media, you know, and I suspect it's going to be more, more and more like this every year, right? There's going to be more and more outlets, more and more sources, more and more options. It's going to get louder and louder and louder in the info space. And uh, there's going to be more and more room for curators, for people that can cut through it, can try to help you get to what, what is actually true and real. And by the way, I think, you know, old fashioned, wonderful, trusted brands like KQED and CNN and The Times and The Chronicle, those are the outlets people should seek out because we are trying to get to the truth. Here's a question from a listener named Gene who says, in 2016, it seemed like Trump got a lot more media coverage than other Republican candidates or Hillary Clinton. Did CNN ever study the amount of exposure it and other news outlets gave Trump compared to other candidates? Uh, I don't know if there's a, there's a binder with a uh, actual study printed out, but there has been a lot of soul searching and reflection about this. And CNN president Jeff Zucker has said uh, that it was a mistake to show so many Trump rallies live in full um, in 2016. Uh, and he says that that, that lesson has been learned. I think that, um, however, it is important to note that Trump was making himself more accessible than other candidates. Hillary Clinton was not holding giant hour-long events in, in, as often as in the way Trump was. Uh, that's not to criticize her campaign or her choices, but candidates that are more accessible are tending to get more airtime. That's been true for many years. And uh, I think Joe Biden recently amping up his campaign schedule, holding more events, is a response to Trump and Trump's events that are taking place. What about the fact that over the weekend, uh, President Trump not only called Joe Biden stupid, but he also said that um, uh, Biden, he t again accused Biden and Obama of spying on him and said they were guilty of treason and should get 50 years in jail. I guess it's again a refrain of this lock him up. Um, there doesn't seem to be much concern when it comes to Fox coverage of things like that about just the civility of carrying a campaign on uh, with um, not only respect for the right. facts, but just respect for whomever your opponent might be. Um, as far as opinions Decency. are concerned, uh, that's right. obviated. I, I'm glad you said that. I, I sometimes yell at the TV myself uh, when, I, when I feel like the press is not um, standing up to this moment and recognizing how, um, how extreme and unhinged some of, the, uh, some of the comments from the president are. We, we are in a truth emergency. And it, maybe it'll only be more clear 10 or 20 years from now uh, if or maybe in a few years if Biden's elected and he makes America boring again, if that's going to be his, his campaign strategy. Um, every day things happen. Things come out of the president's mouth that I think should lead the nightly news. He said last week um, that uh, the number of covid deaths was radically declining. I wish it were, but it's not true. He got the death toll wrong. He said it was 175,000. We're over 186,000 at the time. But my point is there are, there are errors he makes that for any other president, any other time, would be lead stories. And uh, journalists have decided, essentially, um, that they are not that surprised or shocked anymore. And I think that's a problem. I think we have to remain, a, uh, we need to hold on to the capability to be shocked. Uh, at the same time, though, his words are not as important as his actions. And that's true you know, throughout government. Actions are more important than words, but both matter and both should be taken seriously.
Well, I'm thinking about something John Dos Passos said about uh, maybe we are two nations, uh, at least when we think about CNN uh, or MSNBC <laughs> as opposed to Fox News. But here's a listener who writes, I'm a never Trumper, mm. but even I can see that Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon can't stand Trump. Isn't that bias as problematic as Fox's? Uh, that's, that's that person's view. I don't personally agree with that. Uh, I would let Anderson or, or Don take it on. I think when I watch Anderson and Don and Cuomo and the other CNN programs in the evening, I see frustration. Uh, I see a determination to uh, try to report what's actually happening in, um, in contrast to the president's uh, tall tales and lies. And, uh, you know, that's what I see. I don't see personal dislike or hatred. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't personally hate President Trump or, or hate the White House. I, I have sources there who I call upon, who I rely upon. I try to think it's important in journalism to view everyone we cover as human beings. And conversely, it's important for politicians to remember that journalists are also human beings. So as the president leads this hate movement against the press, where he tells the public to, uh, to hate CNN, hate the New York Times, and hate these other outlets, now the Atlantic, it's now the Atlantic's turn. Uh, I'm not su suggesting we respond with a love movement, but I do think it helps uh, to, um, for journalists to be accessible and human and transparent and talk about why we do what we do and remind people that at the end of the day, we're going home to our families and we have the same concerns they do. I think uh, we need to have more of that in journalism, a spirit of openness and humanity in order to regain some of the trust that's been lost. I appreciate that sentiment, but I'm also wondering something you have said on a few occasions that uh, you can separate yourself as a citizen and as a father, a recent father, congratulations on that. <laughs> Thanks. From uh, the journalistic role that you feel is incumbent upon you, how do you keep those two separate, especially in a book like this? Right, I remember being on the phone with the White House aide and having my three-year-old in the back of the car uh, you know, yelling because she was hungry, she was waiting for dinner. And uh, I, I do think that in those moments, um, it does build bonds, it does build bridges uh, that, that are necessary to have because we have to see each other as people. Um, I, in, in hoax, I do set up the book by saying I'm writing this not as a CNN anchor, but as a dad and as a citizen, as someone concerned about uh, the, the war on truth that's going on. I just thought it was important for the book to separate it from my day job at CNN because I very purposely wanted this to be separate. Although I, I will say it did help to be at CNN. It helps to work at a television network to gain sources at Fox because people wanted to confide in me because they know I understand television and ratings pressures and, you know, even silly things like having to go put on makeup before the show, you know, due to the pandemic, we all, we all do our own makeup now. I hope you all can't tell, but that's the, that's the new reality. And here are a couple of comments from listeners I want to read. This is Jim who emails us. Why focus on Fox News and exclude the others on Trump's propaganda wheel? For example, Rush Limbaugh is preaching uncheckered lies, conjecture, and suspicions for three hours each weekday. And Ruth writes, why do we continue to pretend that Fox reports news at all? It never was news. They never followed journalistic standards of verifying sources, having multiple sources, or prohibiting plagiarism. Fox News is simply the name of the organization, but it is not news. And here's Michael joining us. Michael, welcome. You're on the air. Oh, hello. Yeah, hi, Michael. Go Can ahead. Can you hear please. me? Yes, sir. Hi. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just turned the radio on. I listen to the forum quite regularly, but it, it's hard for me to believe that anyone who watches CNN could think that they're not anti-Trump. And for this guy to say that it's a news station, it's like, it's like, it's really unreal. I mean, it's like they're, I mean, I, don't, I just don't see how he can come there and say that CNN is a valid news station when it's just so anti-Trump. Every moderator, I mean, I just, I just, please explain that to me. 
Here's the lead story on CNN.com right now. It says Mitch McConnell sets stage for stimulus showdown with Democrats. And then the second story is Trump is visibly distressed over the Atlantic story. Those are news stories. We report news every day, all the time. And, uh, and yes, uh, there, there might be provocative opinion on the air and commentators, but we've got thousands of journalists around the world reporting the news. Uh, and so that, that's why I say we are a, a news network. Now, I would take exception to one of the other commenters who said that Fox News is not news. I think one of the, the, the kind of um, perhaps it's evil brilliance, but it's brilliance of Roger Hales in launching Fox News is that it was both a Fox News, uh, both a newsroom as well as a political operation. He blended it like no one ever had before. So in the instance of the um, blast in Beirut, uh, that explosion a couple of weeks back, Fox did not have a reporter in Beirut the way CNN did uh, when, the, when the explosion occurred. But Fox did fly a correspondent there and did get a crew there and did have live reports. So clearly they do have news on the air. It's just that in my view, the news is being drowned out and suffocated by pro-Trump propaganda. And, and that's the way Trump wants it because there's not strong leadership at Fox. The, the Murdochs don't seem to care about the content on the air. And so the opinion's winning and the news is losing. But there are journalists on the inside that say they are trying to make it better. Uh, and and uh, their stories are a big part of my book. Haven't you made some distinctions, though, between the two Murdoch's sons? Oh, well, that's absolutely right. There, there, there is a, there's kind of a Murdoch family intrigue to this. That, that may well matter down the road. Uh, Rupert, of course, is the patriarch. He's the uh, father. Uh, and then uh, Lachlan and Murdoch runs Fox Corporation. He's the more conservative of Rupert's sons. The much more liberal son, James, he has basically left the family empire, in part because he's been so disgusted by the content on Fox News. In the future, I, I mentioned in the book a bit of a cliffhanger. If and when Rupert Murdoch dies, I suppose we all die someday, but if and when Rupert Murdoch dies, uh, there will be a fight for control of the company. And James, the more liberal son, he may try to take over. Uh, and that is, um, you know, that's something you might think will, if there was a more liberal man at the top of Fox, would he make Fox News change? Would he cause Fox News to um, uh, focus more on journalism? I think that's just a big unanswered question. Let me go back to another unanswered question that I raised before with you, Brian. That is, um, maybe you can lay out for us more what Fox News gains from this alliance with President Trump, especially right now. I know you've said that, they gain higher ratings, and this seems to be demonstrable, and therefore they can charge more for ads and, uh, and make more profit. But is there, are there other things going on here that we need to know about or need to see and be apprised of? Yeah, well, I think Fox News is more than a cable channel. I mean, this is, uh, I think, important to see and important to, to build bridges to, let's say, the Fox viewer in your family, right? If, if, if you're, you're a CNN or MSNBC fan or you're an NPR junkie and you don't watch Fox, but you have a, a fan member who does, I think we have to understand Fox is more than a channel. It's a way of, it's almost a way of life. It's an identity. It's like a town hall. Uh, the personalities on the channel, they're like a family. And, uh, and I might view it cynically as a TV producer and say they're doing that for ratings, but it works. It's very effective. Uh, and I think um, Trump has learned to become part of that family, learned to use the channel to keep his base with him. Uh, but there's a lot of factors that go into that, right? It's not just about money. That's a big factor. But it's also about a, a sense of family, about defending white Christian conservative values. A lot of the programming is about conservative victimhood, a sense of conservatives losing in the culture wars, even though they're winning uh, with control of power in Washington. So to understand those dynamics, I think, it helps us maybe have conversations with each other to say, you know, I, I appreciate what, what you like about Fox News, but, you know, they also misinformed the president. They downplayed the pandemic. They've sort of moved on from the pandemic now in a way that I think is dangerous. So uh, I think it's, it's important to appreciate what works about Fox as well as what doesn't work. 
Is it the state media as opposed to the fourth estate? I think it's not state-run TV, of course. It's not financed by the U.S. government, but it is state-supported TV, the likes of which we've never seen before. Uh, Of course, if the president loses the election, maybe he'll go off and launch his own network. Maybe he will even be a rival of Fox News, but nobody knows what will happen. Well, it's certainly uh, been enlightening to talk to you. And uh, here's a final question from a listener named Daniel who wants to know if you can figure out how Chris Wallace fits into this. We alluded to him before. Mm -hmm. He seems to be, according to Daniel, the only sane journalist over there. Why does he stay? Uh, I sort of asked him the same question. And uh, uh, he's been, you know, very thoughtful in terms of saying, you know, I do what I do and uh, I stay. (laughs) Right. And and the opinion folks do what they do. Now, I would argue that the opinion people are a lot more powerful. They are a lot louder. And uh, and Chris Wallace's voice should be louder as a result. But look, uh, Chris Wallace is one of the exceptions to the rule. He's one of those journalists who is there trying to make the place better. Uh, and, I, and I respect him for that. I think he's going to put on one heck of a debate. He'll probably try to stay mostly out of the way and let the candidates challenge and fact check each other. Um, what will happen after the debate, though, is perhaps more important. You know, Trump has this channel that is behind him almost 24 hours a day. Uh, it's interesting to think about what would have happened if it wasn't the case, uh, if that wasn't the case. Well, that's but, all uh, speculative you, at this point. People can, uh, people can email me. Bstelter at Gmail is my address. I love hearing from people if there are other questions I wasn't able to answer. To. And thank you, Brian. Good to have you with us. Brian Stelter's book, again, is called Hoax, Donald Trump, Fox News, and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. Thank you for being a part of this morning's program. And for all of us at KQED Public Radio, please stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.